0: Verse 21, it says in verse 21, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. If you remember the last time we got together, we were in the book of Ephesians. I went through all the things we do to set ourselves apart. And what better way for us to set us apart in terms of the world so the world can watch us than in our marriages? If they see a godly marriage, that marriage should look different than a cultural marriage. When they see a relationship between parent and child, I pray that the child-parent relationship in our church and our church families is different than the world. People look at it and they said something's different there. I pray when you're in the workplace and they see your work ethic and your attitude and your lack of mumbling and backbiting, they say that person is different than a regular employee. This is what we're going to be talking about, okay? So when I look at this, this is my fear, okay? I'm going to tell it straight up. My fear is when I preach a subject like this, you'll say, okay, he's a man, he's a husband, right? All right, he's a father, Yeah, he's a pastor, and he's going to he's going to hammer that submission thing right like that, right? That's what I'm up here to do because he's going to try to puff himself up. Well, that's not my goal at all. If that is my goal, I'm going to fall far short of what Scripture has in mind for me. Okay, when I look at this passage, the very first references in verse 21 is talking about submitting ourselves one to another, even though I might have the title and sit in the office of pastor. What this particular passage is saying, is when it comes to brotherhood in Jesus Christ, I serve you, you serve me. We hold each other up high. Okay, And there's no better way to see that. And I don't know what's going on here today, but we don't see that any better than in John chapter 13, where Jesus gave this the example of foot washing. Right? Let me just read that very quickly, John 13, I want to read it, verse 5. After he, this is Jesus Christ, poureth water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherein he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is still God. He became flesh. He came down to earth. Just the fact that he did that is a humbling position. He was their mentor. He was their teacher. He was the authority of the word. And he was getting down on his knees and washing their feet. He said, I am serving you. And then we go forward in the passage, and I'm going to jump down to verse 15. And he says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. What's happening here is Jesus Christ is teaching a lesson and he says the person is that's serving is greater than the Lord. God has a standard for each one of us, and each one of us has a specific role in life. Most of us are both in a situation of authority and submission simultaneous. When you are in the church, you have that role. But I'm talking about something more formally. Let's go to this passage here. This is a man that Jesus was very impressed with. This is a centurion. Jesus was preaching, the centurion came up to him, and he says, I've got someone sick, can you come to my house? And when Jesus, this is in Matthew 8, starting to read at verse 5, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home of palsy, grievously tormented, and Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou, thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and thy servant shall be healed. Jesus is going to be very, very impressed with this man. But notice why he's oppressed. He says, This is the centurion responding. He says, I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Don't you understand? This centurion gets that he's both a servant and he's a master. He is both subordinate, but he's also manager. And Jesus looks at this man and he's the centurion is saying, in this role of being a centurion, I've got a governor, I've got a, a, I've got a, um, a, a Caesar atop of me, and he's telling me what to do, and I submit to him. But also as a leader, there's people underneath me and they have a responsibility to do that and I'm going to be judged at how well I submit and I will be judged at how well I lead. Those are two sets of benchmarks and God will hold you, whatever role you're in, to the benchmark that goes with your office. You got that? Let me share something with you. I brought... I brought up another outside source. This is a book. It's called uh, 1,500 Bible Illustrations by a man named Green. I want to read something here. And this is something I'd like to read to you. My friends, uh, and, and this is true of kids, kids, being a leader is not always fun. Sometimes you just want to throw in the towel and give up. I can't tell you how many times, as a pastor, this is this, this is this is my this this as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as, as, as a teacher, as it, it just you get wore down, and sometimes you just want to give up. You just want to throw in the towel. And as a pastor, the one that is probably the toughest for me when I run into people, and they could be coworkers, it could be friends of my kids, it could be friends, it could be people in the church. When people come to me and they say, well, I just feel, or I just think, or I just believe. And I get so tired of hearing that where I just want to, I give up. But I can't because God has put me in a role where I'm supposed to be subservient to the word of God. And I'm supposed to in this role, keep everybody in here that. And it's not a muscle position where it's like I'm being a dad and I'm trying to get my teenagers under control. I've been given a stewardship over a church, and this is my guide, and this is the authority, and this is the only authority. And there comes a time where I just want to throw in the towel. So let me read this, okay? Okay. This, and I did actually go on the internet to see if it was true, and there really was a man, and this really happened really early in his life. The story is told of an 11th century German king, King Henry III, who, having grown tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch, applied to a monastery to be accepted for a life of contemplation. The religious superior of the monastery is reported to have said, Your Majesty, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard because you have been a king. And Henry III replied, I understand the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. I am tired of being a king. I'm tired of being a leader. I give up. I just want to obey like everybody else. You think a king would ever get that way? This is what the superior said. He says, then I will give you your first command. Go back and sit in your throne and serve faithfully. That is exactly the kind of king this nation needs. You got it? So, there are times as a husband, there's times as a father, there are times where I just want to, okay, I give up. I just want to follow. But I can't. Why? Because God's holding me to a standard. You got it? I don't like it. One of my favorite examples, I don't watch a whole lot of TV anymore. I haven't really for a long time. So I go back way to the really, really old television clips. And I think of Ricky Ricardo and Lucy Ricardo. I love Lucy. And I would say if you got most of the shows, I'd say at least a quarter of them, maybe even a third of them, were about Lucy wanting to buy something. Maybe it was new furniture. Maybe it was a fur coat. Maybe it was a new dress. Maybe it was a vacation. Maybe it was something. I don't know what it was. But it always seemed like she wanted to buy something. And Ricky always said the same thing. We don't have the money. We don't have the money. And at the end of the show... Lucy would get what she wants, and there was a lot of laughs and all the stuff that went on. the. Be- and I remember even being as a little kid saying, Dad, where did Ricky get the money? And he said, son, it's just television, it's make-believe. Sounds like our nation, doesn't it? But think about it this way. What if our nation currently lived under a system like the Old Testament, or When you went bankrupt, the kids were actually sold as bond servants until the debt was paid off. Do you think kids might be happy for dad keeping a budget? Yeah, I think so. If there's that kind of stewardship involved. Do you think if we had politicians that knew if we actually defaulted on our debt, we would all have to become bond servants? Do you think they might we might hire people that were actually more interested in keeping a budget well what a world we have isn't it there's a stewardship involved and a lot of times we just our nation is so used our culture is so prone to just fighting authority no matter where it comes from to fight it to resist it to push it to finagle it and you know what we come by it honestly don't we Isn't that what the first man did in the garden? He finagled and he argued with God and tried to get around the one rule that he had. I want to be the boss. I shall become his gods. I don't want to follow that. So with that being said, I want to look at these roles when we go through scripture, we're going to look at husband and we're going to look at wife. We're not going to look like like, like old television shows. I was thinking about that this morning too. You know, those, those early television shows, I guess it starts with Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton. It always seems like it was the girls against the guys, didn't it? And then you go Lucy Ricardo and... No, no, no. Ricky Ricardo and Fred Mertz against Luke, Lucy Ricardo and Ethel Mertz. It's always the girls against the guys, right? And then for you really were on ones, you can go to Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble against their two eyes. No, but that was the comedy. That was the situation. And it was always this thing. But whether the guys win or the girls win or one's out finagled, God has a standard. And He's going to hold husbands to the standard of the husband's office. And He's going to hold wives subject to the standard of the wife's office. And that's whatever role we're given. It's not about winning. It's not about uh, getting what I want from dad. It's not about what I'm trying to finagle out of my boss. It's the role that we've been given as employees and employers, how we stand, how we walk, how we conduct ourselves. Is it the way God would do it? Whatever role you're in. And I don't even care if you're the CEO of a major corporation, you still have a boss. You've got the stockholders. You've got the board of directors, and ultimately you have your customers. But then you have God. And even as a CEO, you still are subject to laws of government. So even as the CEO of a major corporation where there's tens of thousands of employees, you still have a boss too. And God will hold you accountable in that leadership role, how you submit. But then God will hold you accountable on how you nurture the people underneath you. And you will be held to that. You'll be held at what kind of husband you are. You'll be held. Your wife may disagree. You may be held at what kind of father you're going to be. Your children may disagree. But God is the standard. And we so often want to just, I'm tired of fighting it. But when you're tired of fighting it, the Lord's going to hold you accountable. The responsibility is still yours. Okay? Okay. Now, ladies, this is the kind of husbands you need to be looking for. Amen? So, with that, let's keep on going forward. Okay. So, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading here in verse 22. We're talking about leaders, husbands, fathers, and employers. We're going to be talking about followers, wives, children, and employees. And notice how the principles are. The first thing is, in each one of these cases, it says wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Children, submit unto your fathers as in the Lord. Employees or servants, submit to your your masters as in the Lord. Ultimately, there's accountability there. And if your husband tells you to rob a bank, you tell him no. If your dad says rob a bank, you tell him no. If your employer tells you to rob a bank, you tell him no. That's 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 obvious. There's an integrity you obey them, as long as they're being godly. Okay. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the father is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let me give you a couple examples. The first one is Rebecca. Rebecca, this is recorded in Genesis 27, 12 through 13. Do you remember what Rebecca did? Rebecca tricked her husband. She was a fine woman. We read that the quality she had when Isaac married her, but, but sometime in the middle of the situation, something was happening in the marriage, and she disagreed with her husband, and she was going to fix it, okay? My father, peradventure, this is, this is Jacob talking to his mom, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Rebecca had this crazy idea of fooling Isaac and getting a blessing that he was intending to give to the brother Esau and he says let's do this trickery and he pretended and deceived him and did all this shenanigans and Jacob's saying I'm a little afraid about doing this to dad and Rebecca said son don't worry about it I'll take the heat anything that goes wrong any curses put it on my shoulders you obey me not your dad and his mother said unto him, upon me, be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go and fetch me them. Well, it didn't turn out too well. And all the trickery Rebecca did, as far as I can tell, Isaac did knew anything <clears throat> to chasten his wife. But God did. Do you realize she never saw the son again for the rest of her life? Never saw it again. So, wives, you're not fighting against your husbands. What you're really doing is you're fighting against God. Okay? On the other hand, here's another wife that didn't exactly do her husband right, and she did him well. Think about this. This is Abigail. This is in 1 Samuel 25, 32 and 33. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to me, and blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, and thou hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and avenging myself with mine own hand. Let me kind of give you the context if you don't remember the story. David was on the run, he had several hundred soldiers, and he was running from Saul. Saul was acting maniac, crazy, trying to kill him, and they were running. And as they were running, they came on this one field, and it was a rich man, it, a man named Nabal, who was Abigail's husband. And Nabal treated David and his men very harshly, and David was really angry, and he was about ready to kill him. And what Abigail did behind her husband's back, she went and went to David and his men and gave him a bunch of food behind her husband's back you think, well, that doesn't sound very good. You know what she did? She saved her husband's life. Her husband was acting like a complete fool, and he gave some food to some hungry men. And David says, you know, I was ready to kill your husband, but you kept me from killing him, and I want to thank you very much. And God blessed her for that. Now, what's interesting is God took care of the knuckle-headed husband, too. Abigail didn't have to do it. God did it. Wives, you don't have to do that to your husbands. God has given them a standard and God will take care of that standard. You don't need to be the enforcer. God will do that. And husbands, when it comes to your wives, God will be the husbands of the enforcer of your wives. You, You got that? My point is, it doesn't matter what role you've been given. Fulfill that role to the way God has had you to do that, whether you're the leader or the follower, okay? I'm still in Ephesians 5. Let's pick it up in verse 25. Husbands, there's two kinds of husbands i want to look at after I read this passage. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, having, um, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men ought to love their wives as their own body, so that um, he that loveth his wife loveth themselves. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are as members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." Now, again, all I want to say is the way Jesus interacted with the church. Sometimes Jesus nourished, sometimes he loved, sometimes he got angry. Sometimes he gave sacrificially, including his life. I think I'll probably double back next week and cover this and talk about Jesus Christ in the church. But right now, I'm just sticking to the subject of followers and leaders. Okay? Let's look at a couple examples. The first one is in Genesis 1 and 2. This is Jacob. Jacob wasn't a very good husband. He had a wife named Rachel. She was unable to have a child. And she comes to him and she's just sad. She's just beaten down. And she's just real aggravated. Oh, honey. I don't know if he called her honey. I'm just going with it, okay? Husband, Jacob, I can't have children. I want to have children so bad and I can't have children. Look at the man's response. And Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? He got mad at his wife does that sound like the way Jesus nourished and cherished the church? The answer is no. Gentlemen, God will hold you to that standard with your spouses. You need to be doing that to your spouses. And God took care of Jacob and we could read about that later, but this is in the study of his life. God chastened Jacob and humbled him. Rachel didn't have to do it. Let's read the next one. Isaac, same situation. Isaac's going along and he has a wife named Rebecca, and she's going year after year after year. She can't conceive, she can't have children, she wants to have babies. Jacob heard the story and got mad at his wife. Look what Isaac does. He hit his knees and he prayed for his wife. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. conceived. There's a husband that nourished and cherished his wife. All I can say is, this is not you against her. This is God holding you accountable to the office that he puts you in. And there's a standard there that you need to nourish and cherish. Okay? And then the last one, right here. Last couple of verses of chapter 5. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular slow love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. <clears throat> There's a two-way flow between husband and wife. Thankfully, Jesus Christ was the perfect husband for us corporately. Do you think we're the perfect wife for him corporately? And the answer is no, we come far short. And God will hold us to that standard. We read those churches in oh, Ephesians, or no, uh, Revelations 2 and 3, there were seven of them. There was five of them. He was threatened to move their candlestick because they were being Poor wives leaving their first love. Kinda? All that stuff. All right. Let's go on to the next relationship. The next relationship in this our passage is between parents and children. So now I'm in Ephesians 6. Let's read 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother. I want to stop there for a second. If we would go back to Exodus chapter 20 and we read the Ten Commandments, right there, a couple in, about five in, it's honoring parents. Yes. I just want to stress, honoring parents is way more difficult than obeying parents. Obeying parents is doing what you're told. Honoring parents is doing what you're told and then doing what you're not told also. I might be 60-something and my mother, who's still alive, is 80-something and I'm really not obeying her a lot right now but I pray to God I'm honoring her a lot right now. Okay? Well, this is what the commandment is to honor. Okay? I want you to clean your room. That doesn't mean do the bare minimum. Honor means do the bare minimum. No, it means do a thorough job. And then it means going when you're done, going to mom or dad saying, okay, what else can I do to help you? That's the difference. One's legalism. The other is above and beyond that. Okay? That's easy for you to say, Brother Dolph, you're still a dad. Yeah, but I'm still a son. Do you understand how I play both roles? I play both roles. And in a lot of ways, honoring a 60-year-old, honoring an 80-year-old can be more challenging than a 16-year-old obeying a 40-year-old. It can't be, okay? Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, there's that nurturing again, nourishing, right? Parents, if you're going to be a a parent, God is going to hold you to the standard of the office of parent. It's just not getting compliance with your children. It's more than that. It's giving them nurturing and preparing them for the next responsibility of their lives. Okay, so when I look at this, I want to look at a couple examples there. One that seemed to buck fatherhood and one that didn't, okay? The first person I'd like to look up is Joseph. Remember, Joseph was that last son, that that 11th son of Jacob. Ten older brothers got jealous of him, sold him into slavery. He becomes the Federal Reserve Chairman of the world, the second most powerful person in the entire planet at the time. And lo and behold, along comes dad, this poor vagabond. Yes. And he comes down to Egypt. And Joseph, the second most powerful person in the world, is going to honor his father and treat him like a king. Wow, isn't that something? Isn't that the time where you turn around and say, look at how big I am. Dad, you ought to be bound down to me. But that's not what he did. Let's read the passage. Genesis 46, 29 through 31. And Joseph made ready his chariot. This is when Jacob's coming down for the very first time. And went up to meet Israel. Israel is also the name of Jacob. They're synonymous like Paul and Saul, Peter and Simon. Went up to meet Israel, his father, (coughs) to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. It's not one of those churchyard hugs, right? They embraced And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh, and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. He says, You know what? I'm the number two man in the land. But you know what? I'm going to go the number one man in the land, and I'm going to show him my dad. I want him to meet my dad. Whoa, what kind of honor is that? from the second most powerful man in the world. Do you understand that even Joseph, who is a leader, is now still being subservient? He's being subservient to number one, the Pharaoh, but he's also being subservient to dad, a poor nobody, a foreigner, okay? Let's look at Jonathan. Jonathan bucked dad a few times too. But notice when it says we obey our parents, it says in the Lord. In 1 Samuel 20, 30 through 34, Saul was being very evil. I guess that's the best way to put it. He was a paranoid, schizophrenic, melancholy mess. And he was dealing unfaithfully to his servant David, which did nothing but honor and obey the king. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, perverse, rebellious woman, do not, I know, that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. For as long as thy son of Jesse liveth on the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. Now dad said unto his son, Jonathan, Jonathan, I forbid you to hang out with David. I forbid you to do it. You are confused. And besides that, as long as you hang out with him, you'll never become king, even though you're the prince. I forbid you to hang around with him. And Jonathan says, no, dad, you're wrong. No, dad, you're wrong. He didn't say, no, dad, you're wrong because I want. He didn't say, no, dad, you're wrong because I feel. He didn't say, no, dad, you're wrong because all my friends tell me. Sound familiar? And I don't mean that's what your kids are telling you. That's what you told your parents, right? No. He says, what you're doing is dishonoring unto the Lord. And this is a command I cannot do for you. Just like if you asked me to be the lookout at a bank robbery, no, Dad, this is a command I cannot do for you. okay? Because ultimately, Jonathan is going to be held to a standard of being subservient, but he was also kind of a general or at least a colonel in the army, and he'll be held as a leader too. Amen. Oh, my time is getting away. And uh, let's see, where am I at? Wherefore now, send and fetch him unto me, and for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Now this is one of the biggest (laughs) does in the whole Bible. Saul chunked a javelin at Jonathan. And he says, you know what? I don't think he has good intentions for David because I'm friends with him. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. Okay, kids, when I say kids, even if you're 80-year-olds, how many times have you got fiercely angry with your parents? Did you have Bible on your side? Was it because of a biblical principle or was it because something you wanted? You think, well my dad never said anything about it. God does. God is the one holding to your standard at the higher level, the leadership level or the followership level. And did eat no meat the second day of the month. And he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Okay. All right. Let's keep on going. All right. Let's go to the next passage. We're looking at Leadership and followership, we've seen it in the church of how we submit one to another. We've seen it in marriage, husbands and wives. We've seen it in family, parents and children. And here's the last one, is the place of your employment. Servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the signals of your heart as unto Christ. So I don't care whether you're flipping hamburgers at a fast food place. I don't care if you're um, the chief of a department and a great big corporation and you're reporting to the president of the company, it doesn't matter what you are, you're to report and to work for that man as if you were working for Jesus Christ. Pretty high standard. My boss won't hold me to that, but God will. God's the one standing the benchmark. It's not what you can get away with your boss. Verse 6, Not with eye service. As men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, what's integrity? Integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking. Because ultimately someone is looking and it's God. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is the respect of persons with him. In other words, I don't care what your role is. I don't care how high you are on the totem pole or how low you are on the totem pole. Whatever position you have, that's the standards God's going to use and he's going to judge you by. Are you treating earnestly with the people above you and people below you? God will hold you accountable. And I pray that we can understand. And my point is, When you're a husband and a wife like that, you will be set yourself apart. The world will look at you and you go, that's weird. When parents and children behave that way, they'll look at you and they'll say, that's weird. Or as Titus calls, peculiar. And when you work like this in a workplace, you will be peculiar. You won't be peculiar to God, you'll be peculiar to the culture. And that's what we're supposed to be. Okay? So, with that being said, there's a couple authority levels I left off. One is government. Romans 13.1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This is talking about government. We got this road by our house. Riverland Road. Speed limit is 25. It should be 45, but it's 25. I hate that speed limit. So easy to creep up. But you know what? No matter how dumb the speed limit is on that road, I've actually had to get my point to set my speed control at 25. And people are coming up on my tail, peeping, honking, lights like this, big trucks behind me. I still go 25. They get mad at me, but I don't care if they get mad at me. Where I can, I do. Notice where I say, in the Lord. Amen? In the Lord. Hebrews thirteen twelve. Oh, I knew this one was coming, Brother Dolph. You read it and then you go, oh, I know what you're talking about. Obey them that have rule over you. Submit yourselves. Let's talk about the pastor. You had to push that, Brother Dolph, didn't you? Well, the rest of this verse says, they're accountable to God for your souls. In other words, there's a certain standard that he's going to hold you responsible to. There's a part of us that wants to fight authority, whether it's mom or whether it's dad, whether it's a boss, whether it's a, a governor, whether it's a pastor. No, that's not that's not America. It might not be America, but it's Bible. There's certain leadership, and you got to remember that's where you confess. It's not fun. It's not fun wrestling with a rebellious child. It is not fun. You just give up. You know what happens when you just give up? God's going to judge you for giving up. You can't give up. You stay with it. They may walk away, but you don't walk away. And then the last one, probably the most important of it all, we need to submit... The scripture. Throw away the I feels, the I believes, I thinks. There's a part of us that doesn't want to do that. And we got it honestly because it's in the garden. In the day thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. Satan said, thou shall not surely die. A matter of fact, he's just trying to keep you from being a God. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's Scripture. That's the verse I, I chose. Okay. Last one. Submitting yourselves unto the Lord in the fear of God. Here's the last reference, and it might seem out of context. I'm going to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is the one I think I've shared with you. I do believe verse 1 is probably in our current culture the most misused, misused interpreted verse in the whole Bible right now. Judge not. But it's not saying never make a judgment. It says never make a hypocritical judgment. In other words, don't make up rules that are not in Scripture. That's hypocrisy. Do not hold people to a standard that you're not willing to hold yourself to. That's hypocrisy. So there is a standard God is holding you to as a leader in every leadership role you have. And there's a standard he's holding you to as a follower in every following office that you hold. And God will hold you accountable to that standard. And he would like us to do this one to another. So when we submit to one another, we got to remember the standards that we hold people to is what God will hold us to. I don't know about you, but I kind of like mercy. I kind of like grace. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not showing mercy and grace, so I get more grace. That sounds pretty selfish. But I'm showing mercy and grace because that's the standard God holds me to. I'm sure glad he's not a legalist with me and he's forbearing and forgiving and long-suffering. Well, that's what we need to be with each other as followers and as leaders.